So I'm really excited uh, that Dr. Kalp is going to be talking to you uh, today. He is the acting director of vaccine, the Vaccine Research Center at NIAID, at NIAID and the chief of the immunology lab here. And we're very fortunate to have him here to talk to us about mRNA vaccines. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. And uh, I'm so happy to be here. So I will be talking about mRNA vaccine development for HIV vaccines. I have no relevant uh, financial relationships. So the learning objectives uh, today, hopefully at the end of this lecture, you'll be able to describe the current status of HIV vaccine development and articulate how mRNA technology will help in that process. I'm really going to tell you a story of uh, two pandemic vaccine efforts. So the HIV pandemic, you're well aware, has been going on for over 40 years, and we have no successful vaccines despite multiple attempts. And the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic has only been going on for about two and a half years, and we have multiple vaccines already. So the questions are, why the difference? Is it all related to mRNA technology? And will mRNA vaccines revolutionize the HIV vaccine field? Well, rather than make it difficult, I'll give you the answers right now. So why the difference between HIV and COVID vaccine development? Well, HIV and SARS-CoV-2 are inherently very different uh, viruses with different susceptibility to pre-existing or vaccine-induced immunity. Vaccine against, vaccines against SARS-CoV-2 <clears throat> protect against symptomatic disease and severe infection, but they really don't protect against uh, infection per se. They don't offer sterilizing immunity. We all know people, uh, many of us in this room, who you know, have lots of good immunity and yet got infected with SARS-CoV-2. That's not going to do it uh, for HIV. Is the uh, rapid development of COVID vaccines all related to mRNA technology? No. I mean, there were other things that were rapidly developed. Uh, and uh, obviously we have uh, adenovirus uh, vaccines, we have protein vaccines, but mRNA was really the fastest. And will mRNA vaccines revolutionize the, the HIV field? They probably won't revolutionize, but they may speed it up. Okay, so if we look at uh, the time course of HIV vaccine development, we see that we've been working on this for 40 years. Uh, and only in the last 20 years, we've been doing efficacy trials of HIV vaccines. Uh, and despite that, we have nothing that has really worked. Now you compare that to just the last two years uh, for the COVID vaccines. And what you see at the bottom is it took less than a year for us to get uh, uh, emergency use authorization for a, a couple of vaccines and actually full licensure in about a year and a half. So there's a huge difference in these timelines. So I'm gonna talk about four things in this lecture. One, lessons learned in HIV vaccine development, current approaches in HIV vaccine development, then the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine development and the role of mRNA, and then how that can be applied and will be applied to HIV vaccine development. So back to this slide. The last 20 years, we've been doing vaccine uh, efficacy trials for HIV. What have we learned from that? Well, highlighted in yellow were the, the first vaccine trials. Uh, the publications are shown there. And what we learned is that antibodies that bind HIV envelope but do not neutralize, do not protect. 
So after those failures, we decided, well, maybe classical CD8 T cells. That's what we need to induce. We'll have a CD8 T cell vaccine. And what we learned from the, the, the Merck vaccine trials is that classical CD8 T cell uh, responses in the absence of neutralizing antibodies don't protect. We then had a, a glimmer of hope uh, with the TIE trial, the RV144 TIE trial, where we had 31% efficacy, <clears throat> where we had good antibody responses, but they, they weren't neutralizing. And so we thought maybe non-neutralizing antibodies can protect. However, we went on and tried to repeat uh, those uh, results uh, in a population with higher HIV incidence and prevalence and found that no, we could not re reproduce those results. So that concept fell apart. And then finally, we did other uh, adenovirus-based vaccines uh, that did not induce neutralizing antibodies and they did not protect. So uh, 20 years of efficacy trials and what have we learned? Well, HIV vaccines so far have failed to induce neutralizing antibodies and they've failed to protect. So really the, the shift is now trying to get uh, uh, vaccines that will induce broadly neutralizing antibodies. That's been difficult, however, because the HIV envelope has these very variable loops that are highly glycosylated that tends to shield the neutralizing uh, antibody epitopes. Uh, and you know about the clades. We have different clades in Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, the US, and there's very little cross protection between those different clades. So what are the current approaches in HIV vaccine development? Well, I think what we've learned recently is that structure-based vaccine design leading to stabilized prefusion immunogen structures are really critical for eliciting the correct antibody response. We learned this with RSV, we've learned it with SARS-CoV-2, and we're now applying it to HIV. So if I quickly show you for RSV, uh, we had RSV vaccines that were tried, but they were uh, the post-fusion form of uh, the uh, RSV glycoprotein, which is shown on the far right. When it was determined by Jason McClellan and Barney Graham how to stabilize the pre-fusion form, which is shown in the middle, uh, that was the form that was found to be able to bind to broadly neutralizing antibodies, which is shown on the left. And then with that stabilized pre-fusion form, a successful vaccine was developed. Very similar story for SARS-CoV-2. So work uh, that had been done uh, with MERS uh, coronavirus taught us how to stabilize uh, the spike protein of coronaviruses. So that once the SARS-CoV-2 virus sequence was known, it was uh, very simple to then stabilize that pre-fusion form and that is the basis of almost all of the vaccines uh, that are currently licensed. So the important thing to understand is all of the vaccine failures I told you about, none of those efficacy trials used an HIV envelope in a stabilized trimeric prefusion form. So none of that uh, had been done for HIV until recently. But these types of immunogens are now far along in clinical development. So this is the stabilized prefusion form of the HIV envelope glycoprotein called a SOCIP 
protein. This uh, was discovered by Rohir Saunders and John Moore uh, around 2013. Many, many people have uh, come up with better and different forms, but they're all based upon what we call this SOSIP stabilized prefusion form of the HIV envelope. <clears throat> This was one of the initial studies uh, that was uh, performed to show that uh, this prefusion stabilized trimeric form is important. Uh, in the uh, top on the left, you see uh, cryo-EMs of uh, trimeric forms of the HIV envelope that are sort of floppy, that you can see the arms are sort of all out in, in different directions. And if you immunize rabbits, you can see on the right uh, that you don't get neutralizing antibodies. But on the lower part, you see these cryo-EMs, a very ordered structure, uh, prefusion trimeric forms of the envelope. You immunize uh, rabbits, and on the, the right in blue, you see good neutralizing antibodies. The only problem is these are only autologous neutralizing antibodies. So they only neutralize the strain that were you vaccinated against. So uh, it's going to be important uh, to have these stabilized envelope trimer, uh, but that's insufficient. We need to, to get beyond just uh, autologous neutralizing antibodies. We need to neutralize multiple different strains. The other thing that we learned uh, from these uh, trimeric structures of HIV is we could identify the major sites of broadly neutralizing antibody recognition on the HIV trimer, and I list seven of them there. Uh, so there are multiple different targets that we can actually attack uh, in our immunization uh, protocols uh, to try and stimulate uh, broadly neutralizing antibodies. So what we now have is a structure of the HIV envelope. What we need to do is design immunogens that will lead to a vaccine. Where we're the furthest along is for the CD4 binding site uh, shown here. So the CD4 binding site antibodies uh, are all very similar to each other. Uh, and they're called the VRC01 class of antibodies. And we're really uh, moving along quite nicely in terms of developing immunogens to stimulate these types of an neutralizing antibodies. We know how these types of antibodies develop during natural infection. And what happens is that you have B cells uh, that uh, express immunoglobulins on their surface. These are naive B cells. And an HIV envelope shown in red comes along and stimulates certain of those B cells to start to expand, and you get those red antibodies produced. Those red antibodies uh, start to neutralize certain viruses, so the virus starts to escape, and you get a yellow envelope, and the, the, uh, the antibody starts to uh, change to adapt to that new envelope, and this goes through rounds and rounds until ultimately you get to broadly neutralizing antibodies. But it takes time and it takes multiple rounds of autologous immunization within an infected person for that to happen. What we need to do is try and uh, recapitulate that with vaccination. And we're really just at the very beginning. So we're at this, uh, where, where I've circled here, uh, we are really just trying to get that initial engagement of these naive B cell precursors. The group that's farthest along here uh, is the group from here in San Diego, uh, the Scripps Research uh, Institute, uh, Bill Sheaf's group. Uh, and he's developed an immunogen he calls EODGT8, which is engineered outer domain GT8. 
And it's basically a synthetic uh, protein that looks like uh, the CD4 binding site. He took that uh, and he put it on what we call lumazine synthase. It allows you to express 60 of these uh, immunogens on a single particle. Looks like a virus particle, very immunogenic. And that's actually been through phase one trials. And in these phase one trials, he basically asked, can this immunogen stimulate the expansion and initial maturation of naive B cells with precursors of BRCO1-like CD4 binding site antibodies? I won't go into detail of how that was done. Uh, I wish I could present the results. Uh, I can tell you they were very positive. I think they've uh, finally been accepted for publication and should be coming out within the next couple of weeks. Uh, but suffice it to say, it worked and it worked very well. As a result, we now have that uh, at least one initial uh, immunogen that will stimulate these precursors. But that, as I said, that's insufficient. What we're probably going to need is multiple new immunogens to then mature that response. And that'll probably be mostly SOCIP, these SOCIP trimers that will be used to then what we call shape and polish that immune response. And while that's true for CD4 binding site antibodies, I don't want you to think that this is only being done for CD4 binding site antibodies. This is also the same type of procedure as being done for fusion peptide antibodies, V3 glycan, V1, V2 glycan, and membrane proximal uh, external region uh, antibodies. So multiple, multiple efforts to do this exact same uh, vaccine type of uh, uh, protocol. The problem is, because these are all proteins, each time you develop a protein immunogen, you have to figure out, how do I produce it in a cell line? How do I purify it? How do I make sure there are no adventitious agents in there? How do I make sure that it remains uh, in that form uh, through storage and shipment and in, uh, injection into an individual? And that takes a year or two for every single protein. So this process of just developing these protein immunogens is gonna take years, uh, if not decades. So what we've learned so far is that knowing the structural details of HIV envelope has been crucial for designing the next generation of immunogens that can stimulate neutralizing antibodies to HIV. Native envelope trimers as immunogens are unlikely to stimulate more than very limited autologous neutralizing antibodies and a complex set of immunogens will be needed. Unless we can quicken that process, this is gonna be a decades long uh, process uh, from here, even though we've already been in it for a couple of uh, decades. So let's talk now about SARS-CoV-2 vaccine and what was different. So as you know, mRNA vaccines, this is the Moderna timeline. Uh, they got the sequence of the virus on January uh, 10th of 2020, started GMP manufacturing five days later, and in less than a year, they had an emergency use, use authorization. They were into phase one within, a, a, I think, what, what is that, like two months, uh, then by uh, six months, they were into phase two, or uh, six months, they were into phase three, and got the results very quickly. Now, that's not to say that this was the only vaccine and only mRNA could move this quickly. Certainly Moderna and, and uh, Pfizer were the fastest. Uh, they, they're at the top there and it only took them under a year. But then uh, AstraZeneca and Janssen uh, who had adenovirus vectors 
also had successful vaccines very shortly thereafter. So there are other technologies which were able to move quickly. The important thing, however, is that the protein vaccines at the bottom, Novavax and Sanofi, were much slower, uh, easily a year slower. And it's because of this process development and purification and, and showing that the proteins were in the right uh, form that took so long. And Janssen is still uh, doesn't, doesn't have uh, an emergency use authorization. So the Pfizer and Moderna efficacy, you all know. I mean, extremely efficacious vaccines. Um, but you know, the, the Janssen vaccine was, was also quite efficacious. But because Janssen, or, or because Pfizer and Moderna got out there first, basically all the vaccines in this country are mRNA. But you go to el elsewhere in the world and protein vaccines for SARS-CoV-2, uh, the Janssen vaccine, which is an AD26, is also, you know, are, are being used uh, much, much more uh, frequently than mRNA. So there's nothing magical about mRNA other than the speed that they got there. And we know that COVID vaccines primarily prevent severe infection but not infection per se. So, so we know that you know, in people who have been boosted, uh, that the big protection that we're seeing is against hospitalization. People are still getting infected, but it's the hospitalizations and severe infections uh, that are being helped. So the COVID vaccines, uh, what's the correlative immunity? What's, what's, being, what's the process by which uh, there's uh, protection? So this just shows neutralizing antibodies for different vaccines. At the top is Moderna, which is the mRNA vaccine, then Janssen, an adenovirus, then Novavax, a protein. And what you see is that for Novavax, you actually have higher neutralizing antibodies than you have for Moderna. So there's nothing magic about mRNA. The protein vaccines are actually, if anything, giving you slightly better neutralizing antibodies. And then uh, the bottom are the uh, uh, couple other adenovirus vaccines. But if you look at that, every single one of these vaccines over the, the range of the neutralizing antibodies they stimulate, there's an increase. So the higher neutralizing antibodies, the better protection. So it looks for all of these as though neutralizing antibodies is the correlate. So from SARS-CoV-2, what we've uh, learned is that aspects of SARS-CoV-2 that led to rapid vaccine development were the prior work of, in MERS on the SARS-CoV-2 uh, spike protein, use of mRNA vector uh, and viral vectors to express the protein, uh, the spike protein really led to rapid development. Uh, and, you know, obviously the U.S. government really stepped in and provided a lot of money and funding to the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, the High efficacy against symptomatic COVID was achieved by multiple different vaccine programs. Induction of neutralizing antibodies uh, correlate with protection, but the vaccine's protect, protection was incomplete and, as we all know, uh, has waned in the face of the emergence of new variants of concern. So let's loop back now to HIV vaccine. So how will mRNA vaccine technology be applied to HIV vaccines? Well, I told you that uh, the J&J, uh, the, the AD26 uh, vaccine uh, didn't uh, show efficacy. 
uh, the day that that was, uh, or the same week that that was announced, uh, the failure of their trial uh, for HIV vaccines, uh, Moderna actually announced that they were getting into uh, the uh, HIV vaccine field with mRNA. So right at the time we had a failure, we also had M uh, Moderna and mRNA technology coming into the field. So what uh, vaccines were they talking about? Well, they're the ones I, I told you about that uh, Bill Sheaf was uh, generating, the EODGT8, CD4 binding site stimulating vaccines. Uh, so what they uh, basically agreed is that they will start making those instead of as proteins as mRNA expression. So we know that it's gonna take one to two years if we do uh, for each one of these immunogens, if we do it as protein, but with mRNA, we can do it much fa faster. And in fact, they have already started uh, the vaccine trials for some of these immunogens using mRNA now. So they're already in the process of doing the, these, uh, these vaccine trials using EODGT8 expressed not as protein, but as mRNA. And I don't want you to think uh, that the only mRNA companies are Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. There are multiple other companies involved. I don't have a list of all of them. I think there's probably not a, pharmaceutical, a vaccine pharmaceutical company that isn't involved uh, in mRNA right now. But there are also nonprofits uh, and, and uh, smaller companies that are developing mRNA uh, technology, including bio or green light biosciences, Acagera, Afrogens, and uh, government and academic centers are also uh, doing this. So the Duke uh, Vaccine Institute, uh, my own uh, group at the Vaccine Research Center, we're all developing mRNA technology. We have all decided this is the, the uh, wave of the future. And I think that you know, what I can say is that all of these different targets are now switching over and mRNA technology will be uh, used for all of these different targets as, as part of the vaccine development effort against HIV. The important thing to remember, however, is just because the technology is there and everyone's uh, involved, the pharmaceutical industry still sees HIV vaccines as, as a loser in terms uh, financially. So they are still looking to the US government, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, groups like that to fund this. So what can mRNA technology do for HIV vaccine development? Well, as I've told you, shorten timelines from production to clinical testing of vaccine concepts can eliminate time-consuming and costly steps associated with protein vaccine manufacturing and de decrease the cost of production. This will shorten what we call the design cycle time, which is the time from a vaccine concept to the actual clinical testing of a product. What mRNA cannot do is induce some sort of magical sterilizing immunity. As I've shown you, you know, Novavax with their protein vaccine actually stimulated better neutralizing antibody than, than Moderna's mRNA. Uh, but it just took longer to get that vaccine developed. Obviously the, the mRNA uh, uh, 
platforms from Pfizer and Moderna were very good at, at stimulating neutralizing antibodies. And so we're, we're excited that applying this to HIV vaccines will be helpful. The other thing that uh, we know is that we don't get sterilizing immunity with mRNA. It's just not, it's not gonna, oh, mRNA gives you sterilizing immunity. We know from SARS-CoV-2 that that doesn't happen. And so just back to the answers to the questions uh, so that you get all your exam questions right at the end. Uh, so why the difference between HIV and COVID vaccine development? They're different viruses. They have different entry mechanisms. They have different pathogenesis you're really going to need sterilizing immunity uh, for HIV. And we don't get that uh, with the, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, vaccines, yet we can uh, protect against severe disease. Is the rapid development of SARS-CoV-2 uh, vaccines all related to mRNA? No, but uh, really helped in terms of speed. And will mRNA vaccines revolutionize the HIV vaccine field? probably not revolutionize, but certainly speed up. And I think uh, we've, we've seen that we've, we've got a lot of different groups now interested because they can see I don't have to, to spend 20 years in development. Maybe I can spend five years in development. And that really decreased the cost. Time is money. And so with that, I think I finished 20 uh, seconds early. So I'm happy to take any questions. Please come up to the um, mic if you want to ask. So far, we have one that's come in over, oh, now two. So Laura Armas is asking uh, if you could comment on therapeutic vaccines and what that trajectory is. Uh, so yes, therapeutic vaccines are, are something that have been tried for years. They, they tend to be, they're currently being tried in combination with multiple other things uh, in, in uh, cure strategies. Uh, so where you're lose, using uh, uh, you know, immune stimulators to try and uh, stimulate the uh, or do latency uh, reducing agent or stimulating agents so that you basically knock the virus uh, out of its latent state. Uh, and then you have improved immunity such that you will then try and kill off any of those cells. So uh, you know, therapeutic vaccines are being used in those. Uh, unfortunately, they tend to have an immunologic effect, maybe a small effect on viral load, but nothing uh, that looks like it's going to be curative at this point. Well, that's disappointing. So um... that's that's the you know that's that's my life. I'm yeah, I keep trying not. to hold it out for my patients in terms of cure. I'm like, well, maybe you'll just be able to get a vaccine. Okay, uh, do we know if there's a difference between mRNA vaccines versus protein vaccines in the duration of neutralizing antibodies or immunity? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question, and we're we're hoping to uh, get those answers soon because Novavax was later into the game. We have less uh, information about durability from Novavax. Certainly, we're, we're somewhat disappointed about the, the durability of the mRNA vaccine-induced immunity. We're hoping that the, the protein uh, vaccine immunity will be uh, longer. And it's one of the major questions we're trying to address with mRNA vaccines is how can we improve the durability? Another, another question is, um, will stigma interfere uh, with trials and the ultimate uh, public implementation around vaccinations? Are any date? Have you done any work on this? 
So, so stigma in terms of vaccination in populations? Yes, that you'd get an HIV vaccine. What's, what, what, why are you at risk for HIV kind of thing? I yeah, think. Uh, obviously a, a very important uh, question. We, we learned a lot from the, the, the uh, COVID vaccine efforts is that you know, we need to target the right populations. We need to target them correctly. We need to get the vaccines into their arms because a vaccine uh, that's in a vial and not in an arm uh, is of no use to anybody. Uh, so uh, my group uh, is not doing any research uh, in this, but there are lots of groups that are looking specifically at that uh, question because we have to make sure that, that we get the vaccines into arms. Great, thank you. Another question is, uh, without sterilizing immunity, uh, is there still a point that per perchance um, HIV infection could occur, but the disease would be less severe, like with COVID? That, that was the hope. I mean, the, the CD8 T cell vaccines that were tried with Merck, the hope was, you know, no one expected them to stop infection, but the hope was that uh, those who became infected would basically all become long-term non-progressors. So we did not see that as a result of that, uh, that uh, vaccine protocol, that efficacy trial. There is always the hope that, uh, you know, if, uh, if the vaccine works and you have the right type of immunity uh, that you will get uh, better uh, long-term effects, uh, but that still needs to be seen. None of the vaccines tested so far have had that as a positive outcome. Great, so I think following on that around long-term non-progressors, what have we learned from them that could be used in vaccine development? It seems like we've made a lot of progress in terms of understanding some of how their vaccine gets in, their, their HIV is integrated or their initial infection occurred. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's been a lot of work on long-term non-progressors and elite non-progressors. And what, what we've learned is that there are multiple, multiple factors. So we know that <clears throat> there are innate genetic factors that can protect people and make them long-term non-progressors. Uh, certain HLA types are associated with better immune responses uh, and long-term non-progression. Uh, if you get certain viruses, get infected with viruses with certain deletions. So there, there's a, a host of different factors uh, that can lead to uh, uh, increased likelihood of becoming a, a long-term non-progressor. In terms of the vaccines that we're developing, there's very little that we've uh, seen in terms of the initial antibody response uh, that appears to be really well associated with long-term non-progressors. It, it's, it's more innate, virologic, and cellular immunity that, that seem to be the, the major factors there. Uh, another question, any update on hepatitis C vaccine efforts? I don't have specific data other than the fact uh, that I'm told they're getting very close. Oh, that's great. I had Sorry, heard I that. can't tell you more than that. Okay, well, that's still very exciting. I think for all of us in the room, we're good with that. We still want needle- But don't quote me on that. We still want needle exchange for a lot of other reasons though, just to put it in there. Okay, um, from Mike Sag, can, protein, uh, can proteins induced by mRNA technology be glycosylated intracellularly? Yes. Okay, so I didn't understand the full concept, the context of that, but other people do. Okay, um, is there a relationship between mRNA vaccines and false positive HIV tests? Maybe getting to that stigma question again. It, so it, 
obviously it all depends upon what you put into your uh, vaccine. So if you're just doing uh, envelope, uh, and that's mostly what we're, we're doing for most of the HIV vaccine efforts, uh, you'll only stimulate antibodies to the envelope. So you won't develop antibodies to the gag or the pol. So you should be able to sort out vaccine-induced immunity from infection-induced immunity. Great. Well, thank you very much. That's the last question. That was a fabulous talk. Thank you so much. Thank you.